Welcome to Sermons from Iceland, a podcast that highlights the most recent sermons from Lofstofan Baptista Kirka, a Bible-based church in the Reykjavik, Iceland area. Pastor Gunnar Ingi Gunnarsson and the ministry staff at Lofstofan are grateful that you are joining us for today's study in God's Word as a supplement to your weekly routine of meeting with your local church to worship Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Following was recorded on Sunday, July 2nd, 2023. Today's message title, A Life of Worship, a study in the book of Romans, chapter 12. Father, we praise you. We thank you for fellowship. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the ability to come together, to sing, to remember who you are. Father, I know that our church family is kind of all over the place right now with summer vacations. So I pray for those who aren't here with us today. I pray that wherever they might be, that they would be encouraged and uplifted, that they would be building up in faith. Father, I pray for us this summer that we would be able to enjoy this summer, to enjoy one another this summer. Father, as we go on our various trips, that we would carry the light of the gospel wherever we go, that you would bless our conversations in that regard. Father, and today I, I pray that we would grow more dependent upon you, that we would know you more, that we would be in awe of who you are and what you've done for us. Father, we, may we not be tempted to set aside the awesome nature of your grace to us found in Jesus Christ, but may that be the fuel that puts a fuel on our fire to glorify you with our lives. Father, I pray as we go into your word, your Holy Spirit equip us. Would you help us not just gain theoretical knowledge in our heads, but rather walk out of here transformed and equipped to glorify you and enjoy you. Father, we love you and we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for your word. I pray that you guide my tongue, that you open up our hearts so that you can do your work in us, leading to our joy and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. So we're going to be jumping into Romans chapter 12. Uh, it's a popular passage. I'm glad to be back with you. I'm returned from Spain. I've learned I have two shades of color. I have bright uh, orange burning red, and then I have pale. So I'm back. And well, I did, some, did get some freckles and they're about to unite. So maybe I'll... Anyways, it's awesome to be worshiping with you today. Uh, but today I want us to start with a few uh, verses in Romans chapter 12. I just want to take a few weeks to dwell on this chapter uh, as we consider what it is to worship God, uh, remembering the call which Christ has called us, remembering why Christ has called us, remembering the motivation behind the worship that we give God. Because I think, unfortunately, even though it's a rather basic principle, this is so often forgotten because I think we as fallen humans have the tendency to want to drift to a system where we can measure our success, where we can do more for God. And we feel like then if I just do more, then I'll twist the hand of God to bless me. Um, and yet, so what we see in scripture is not only the call to do something, the what, but also the very fuel that keeps us in the worship of God, the why. And I remember back about eight years ago now, when Sava and I had just been, we had been struggling financially for about two years at this point. Um, we were, uh, we had just started church. I think it was like two years in and I was working the full-time job, trying to balance. We just had our kid and we were literally going to a halfway house to get like three meals. Uh, we had an inside person. My mom was cooking for the halfway house. So we got free meals from the halfway house. We didn't have a whole lot of money. And I remember what we had this Volkswagen Gold and we would turn on the car and the dashboard just looked like a well-decorated Christmas tree. You know, it was like all kinds of colors and lights going on. And I was like, oh, this is beautiful. Until you realize what all those colors represent. Check engine, <laughs> something to do with the oil, probably a flat tire, all this kind of stuff that's wrong with the car, except we don't have any money to fix it. And I remember we'd laugh at times about just how ridiculous our dashboard would look and how ridiculously broke we were 
And at other times I would sit in the car and I would just look at that dashboard and I would worry about it because I knew that each one of those lights represented a problem that needed to be fixed. And each problem that needed to be fixed represented an amount of money that you needed to get that fixed. And each day I didn't fix that problem, the likelihood of that problem becoming greater just went up. So all of a sudden the check engine light leads to an exploded engine or whatever cars do. You know, I don't know much of cars. Uh, there are a few places in scripture what I feel like are this type of sort of dashboard in your car that you can read these passages and you can have sort of a check, check the status of your vehicle. You, you may look at the fruit of the spirit or the fruit of, fruit of the flesh. If you see a lot of fruit of the flesh in your life, then that's probably a, a light in your dashboard. Right? If you see a lack of fruit of the spirit in your life, then that's, that's right. That's a bad thing, isn't it? Can we, can we agree? Yeah. Okay. Three of you agree. We need to talk about the spirit here in a little bit. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but we get to Romans 12 and that, that sort of operates in many ways, like a spiritual dashboard, giving us warnings about the health of our spiritual walk and our worship of God. And I feel that way about Romans 12. It is a chapter about what it means to and looks like to worship God. And I want to pray that as we go into this passage, today we're only starting with the first two verses. Um, but as we go into this chapter, that we'd ask God to reveal to us in his grace, uh, problems where we have problems in our spiritual health, things that we need fixed. Maybe we look around and see, hey, brother, hey, sister, uh, I don't want to judge, but I just felt like that passage was condemning. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, that, that we would be in, in, involved in each other's lives where we say, hey, maybe we need to focus on this area. And that's what I love about God. God is the Holy One of the universe. And yet he comes to us, comes to a, a geek like me, a plebeian like me. And he just says, I'm coming with grace. What do I deserve? I deserve wrath. And yet he comes and gently rebukes, leads, changes. And I want us just to, as we go through this passage over the next two, three weeks to say, God, what is it in my life? that needs to change in light of who you are and what, in light of what you've said so that I might enjoy you more and I would glorify you and that God would grow us to look more like Jesus. Because honestly, like if, if I had one wish for me and for all of us about what would define our lives, I would want that we would be godly people. Because I believe that in being godly people and enjoying God, there's nothing, no greater enjoyment that we can have except for God. And so I want to pray as we go into Romans 12, that we would know God more. And so would you stand with me as we just read the first two verses? Uh, Romans chapter 12, a life of worship. Um, here it says, and we're using the ESV, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by the test, by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and what is perfect. Amen. Would you be seated? Father, I pray that you Again, Holy Spirit, would you work in us, transform us, equip us as we see in the text that we wouldn't be conformed to this world. A dead fist can flow with a stream. Father, I, I pray that we would be alive in you, that you would transform our minds, transform our hearts, equip our bodies for the work of the ministry. May we be a living and holy and acceptable sacrifice to God. Father, I pray that you be with us as we study your word today. In Jesus' name. Okay, so there is, I, I know some of you have a hard time believing me when I say like, there's a lot of these verses and, I, and you know, I have a tendency to talk a while, but what, it, what, is, what, this, what is this text overall? So we're about to enter a chapter in the Bible. This is a chapter about an appeal to live lives of worship. And the rest of this chapter in chapter 12 is gonna flesh out what practical worship looks like. Touching not just the church gatherings as we're doing here today, um, as some view worship, worship. I, I grew up in the church. I don't know, maybe, maybe we'll do a survey here. How many, which 
grew up thinking worship is what you do when you sing together as a church, right? How many of you thought of worship only as the, the singing together? Okay, me too, yeah. Okay, so that is not, worship is not limited to the singing alone, although that is an aspect of worship. You could say that singing is worship, but it is not the only thing about worship. So um, it touches church gatherings, but also it touches every single aspect of the life of the believer. This chapter is a challenge to us. And uh, I know over the years, I've, I've said we need to become fat people uh, just to wake you up, <laughs> faithful, available, and teachable. Uh, and I think actually when I, when I view this chapter, I would say that uh, I'm, I'm, I'm changing the call a little bit to become flat people, uh, faithful, loving, available, and teachable. Uh, and so uh, that's sort of the theme you see. That's what continually came to my mind as I read the, the chapter, faithful, loving, available, and teachable. And that, all, that is the aspect of our worship, to be faithful to God, to love God, to love others, to be available, to be used by God and teachable, to be transformed and equipped by God. And I love this, that Paul starts out by saying, I appeal to you therefore brothers, and just know when it says brothers in the scripture, it's, it's actually, I, I know that you don't hear ladies, you, I, I don't refer to you as brothers, but it actually appeals to all Christians, right? Um, that's why some translations have actually put brothers and sisters in. Uh, if you didn't know, the, the New Testament is actually written in Greek. And, um, uh, and that word peel is parakaleo. Okay, so those are two words, para meaning like, anyone try to avoid parallel parking, for instance, because they're bad at it? Parallel, uh, so it's something next to you, parallel streets, uh, something else with para, parachurch organization, that type of stuff, next to. And Kaleo, of course, we know is just a great Icelandic band, right? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, but it is a call to, meaning he's, he's calling you to this. Paul is here calling the Roman church to his side, not calling them to do what he himself would not dare to do. He's not sitting in sort of a comfortable chair saying, you church of Rome should up your game a little bit. Now he's saying, no, come join me alongside of me as we pursue Christ and his glory. He's not just telling you that these are rules for thee, but not for me. No, this is Paul saying, come along my side by God together. So this could encompass a whole lot of things and might be a lesson to some of us. What does it look like to call people to serve Christ? Well, it it's, doesn't explain what the call looks like, only that it is a call. And so actually, Sometimes, have you been in the place where you just needed encouragement and someone came and just offered you rebuke? Okay, just Elliot. Elliot always needs rebukes, I feel like. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, have, you, have you been at a place where you needed a rebuke and no one would actually confront you and just give you encouragement all? So here we have sort of a call from Paul to come alongside of him, to serve Christ, to glorify Christ together, and that could encompass him encouraging those who needed to be encouraged to rebuke those, Elliot, who needed to be rebuked. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, he's, he's not sitting there comfortably in a palace on a throne saying, you do this for me. No, he's calling them to his side. He's calling them to live a life of worship, calling us to his side, living lives in the kingdom of God. And so that in the mind of Paul, the apostle who's writing here, is what worship is all about. Yes, we glorify Christ when we sing together, but worship does not, is not limited to this two hour window on a Sunday or whatever. It is the rest of our lives. It is how we think on a Monday. It's how we react to a bad situation on a Tuesday. Uh, on a Wednesday, it's, I don't know, you know, you know stuff comes up. <laughs> it's glorifying God with all of your life. Um, and some of this kingdom living will be fleshed out in the coming verses, but let me just drop this right here. If, if you need to be encouraged, if you need to be challenged, even if you need to be rebuked and held accountable, come alongside, come alongside of someone in the church. We have small groups in the church that you can be a part of. We have people in the church that you can meet. Don't isolate yourself. If you are discouraged, if you need encouragement, don't isolate yourself and just find yourself to a room. There are brothers and sisters here. We need to learn this better. 
you say, hey, let's do this thing. Parakaleo, come alongside of me and let's glorify Christ. And, and sometimes, and I know the tendency to want to isolate, right? I know even the tendency, uh, I t- forget which one I was talking to. It was someone from an African country in here. And uh, they were talking. It's like, yeah, I came here and I was used to, you know, my culture back home where you didn't have any privacy. <laughs> People would just barge in the door and you would eat together. And if you were going through grief, you didn't have any privacy at all. And then I came to Iceland and actually the Iranians are laughing. <laughs> so I think there's a similar culture, probably but uh, Icelanders don't do that. If you haven't noticed, um, we leave each other alone. We're like, oh, you're suffering. Good luck with that. I'm going to, I'm going to get some pizza. Thank you. Uh, like, and they came to Iceland and they're like, man, Iceland changed me so fast. It's like, I actually wanted to be left alone. And we have a tendency sometimes to be, to be wanting, wanting to be left alone. But man, let's remember when we read these words, I appeal to you. I, it's tricky in English to see but that you is not, a, it could be a singular you or all y'all as the Knoxville people would say, or uh, the Tennessee people would say, uh, but that's actually plural. Almost all of scripture, when you see a you in there, it's easier to see in Icelandic. It's almost always to a group of people. And I know that sometimes, man, we need to be encouraged. Sometimes we need to have our, have our issues brought to the light so that we can actually be corrected and rebuked gently by one another. And to do that, we need come alongside of one another. Parakaleo. We need to be calling one, one another to our sides. Stop being these weird Icelanders or just people who came to Iceland and became like Icelanders (laughs) and say, no, 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 let's do this together. Let me have at least one person in my life that I say, come alongside of me, please help me. Uh, And that's why we do these groups and so on and so forth. Because we must remember that sometimes love comforts and encourages. And that's like, oh, that's great. You know, that's the Hollywood type of love. We love to see that. But sometimes love actually looks like sitting down and having the difficult conversation, the awkward conversation. Sometimes love is not patting you on the back as you drive off a cliff. Sometimes it's actually forcing you out of the car and stopping the car. That's what love looks like. To be challenged does not necessarily mean condemnation. Um, to, to point others to holiness, as Paul talks about here, does not constitute abuse. To call out sin in gentleness is not hate, but rather love. But the thing about this chapter is that it's a rather popular chapter in scripture. Like these verses in particular probably exist on a lot of Christian t-shirts and coffee mugs. <laughs> uh, a lot of people know these, uh, these verses and leading up to it, it's like, eh, we'll see, you know, there's something there. Um, and, and I have often wondered, why is that? Why is it that this is popular? Why is the whole chapter 12 so popular? And I don't want to assume that I know everybody's motives and what everybody's heart is, but I know for some it's popular because it gives us something practical to do, right? I think we as sinful humans tend to like that. We, we tend to like a scoreboard with, car, with God. God, where do I stand? Like how impressive do I need to be for you to bless me? How impressive do I need to be to to earn your love from the cross. How impressive do I need to be? How much do I need to give? How much do I need to speak about you and evangelize? How much do I need to attend church to impress you and earn your love? I think it's sort of something ingrained in a lot of us. Because for a lot of us, it's difficult to simply accept the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross where he looks at our shame and our penalty, and he takes it upon himself. And for a lot of people, you know, you think about what is the stumbling block? The scriptures talk about the good news of Jesus actually being a stumbling block to a lot of people. Well, it's this, you can't be impressive enough for God. You cannot be impressive enough to earn your way to heaven. And the scripture comes in and says, actually, contrary to all the self-help books out there, you are not as great as your mom thinks you are. You are sinful and fallen. And yes, you might compare yourself to Hitler or Stalin and feel like you're a pretty good person. But man, the standard is not these evil people or another person around you. It is the holiness of God. 
you need to live up to the standard of perfection. And I'm sorry to break it to you if you hadn't noticed this, but you are not that. If you're in here and you're human, you're not perfect. What we share in common is that we have all failed. And yet we have a great savior. The crazy thing is about Jesus is that he knows the worst parts about you. The stuff that you try to hide from social media, that you definitely don't post on your Instagram stories or TikTok or whatever. The stuff you don't tell your parents about, he knows. He knows the depths of every single one of our wickedness in here to a degree that no one else does. And yet he loves us more than anybody else could. There's such freedom in that. And yet I think it's difficult for people just to hear that. Jesus died for me. That's it. What about the scoreboard? Like, what am I supposed to do? How do I earn this? And I think that's perhaps why a lot of people appeal to Romans 12, because it's like, here's, here's a recipe of what to do. And we like to focus on the what. Okay, number one, body a living sacrifice, whatever that means. You know, number two, be wholly unacceptable. Not going well. Number three, get a new mind. Number four, know the will of God, so on and so forth. And you work your way through the chapter and you could have a whole lot of things to do to impress God. But notice that before Paul starts to talk about any of the what to do, he starts with the why, which is arguably matters more than what we do. If you do something right for the wrong reasons, it's not right in front of God's eyes. Like you look at shocking passages in the Old Testament, like Isaiah chapter one or Amos chapter five, and you get to these shocking passages where God is saying, actually, I despise your feast. I despise your gatherings in the temple. I despise your sacrifices. All of this like show, I despise it. And you're like, wait a minute, God, you, you told them to do that. <laughs> you told them to sacrifice. You told them to sing. And you're, you're telling me despise that now? Yeah. He turned it into an event and totally missed the point. Sacrificed an animal, didn't love the person. They sacrificed an animal, didn't love the God. Like even in Matthew chapter seven, there's this scary passage in verse 22. Oops, there's a Greek word. Jesus says, Many on that day will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Notice what they're doing. Look at how impressively religious I am. God, I showed up to every church service. I'm the one who brought COVID into our church. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, you know, like whatever it is, like that, look at all the things I've done, all the things I've said, I'm preached. Like, of course I'm coming into heaven. They don't get the point. They do not get the point. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. All your deeds. Where does it say that righteous, our righteousness is like filthy rags? Right? You better remember the passage for that. Isaiah, somewhere. That's a, that's a good chunk to look for. <laughs> righteousness are as filthy rags. God is not impressed by what you can do for him if you don't know why you're doing it. Do you do it to earn the love of God? To pay him back for the cross? Or do you go and live in worship because he's already given all that to you? Do you go to earn forgiveness or rather because you are now forgiven? Those two things are very different from one another. Do you do that out of fear of God or because perfect love has cast out all fear? And it's like, it's like take my marriage, for example. My wife isn't here, so I'll use her as an example. If I was continually thinking, okay, Svala, you're supposed to love her. Remember, don't push her downstairs. You know, uh, don't try to tackle her and hurt her. That would be weird, right? <laughs> It'd be weird if my thinking process was all about not hurting Swava. Instead of thinking, I love this woman, of course I'm not going to push her downstairs, right? And yet so many come to God through religion thinking about all the stuff that they shouldn't do. Instead of just 
I'm called to love God and to love like him. And because he has freed me. And our text says today, therefore, by the mercies of God, as a, as a general rule for Bible, I, I heard this somewhere in the US and it just stuck with me. Whenever you see a therefore in your Bible, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to ask, what is a therefore, therefore, right? Uh, and that's, that's a good way to remember it. Uh, just give that to you for free. It's going to stick in your head and you're always going to see a therefore. What's the therefore, therefore? So when you see that, you actually, it's a good question to ask. And in these words, there's a missing context. I don't know if you realize this, but Romans is a letter written by Paul and he didn't write it like chapter one, verse one. Hello, everybody. Verse two, you know, he wrote it like an actual heaven. And then previously there was chapter letter. And so when you see a therefore, you see there's a missing context here. And up until this point there, I don't know if you know how numbers work, but this is chapter 12. So previously there were, there's chapter 10 and it, it's worked its way down to one, right? So there are 11 chapters coming up to this chapter 12 and he has gone through everything that Christ has done. He has talked about the gospel so heavily. So he's laid the foundation for 11 chapters as to why we're supposed to do this. And then he goes into the one, what? And actually he urged you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And then he goes on to describe what a godly life looks like. There's other letters from, um, from Paul as well. Like the uh, Ephesians, if you read it, what is the first three chapters about? That's about what God has done. Fourth chapter, the U-turn, U-turn comes and then, is, then he says, I like. So he always starts with, here's why we do this. The good news of Jesus informs our worship. The good news of Jesus sustains our worship and drives our worship. If we don't have this fuel on our tank, we are not going anywhere. Jesus and his saving work on our behalf is what fuels everything that we do as individuals and as a church. So worship is not done to gain the mercy of God, but rather because you've already been given it. Therefore, by the mercies of God. And here's what counterfeit religions and faiths will prescribe to you is obedience first in order to obtain mercy. It's here's what you need to do to approach God instead of the good news of Jesus, which says you can't. And here's what God did to approach you. And here is Jesus. Paul flips everything on its head. The very thing that he uses to appeal to us for holy living. It's actually not to gain the mercy of God, but rather because you have the mercies of God. Follow Christ, right? Because you know that in being where he is, you have life to the fullest, true and lasting joy. To be where he is, is to be where he created you to be. You wanna truly glorify God, search for your peace in God. And there's John Piper, how does he say it? Um, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him, right? If you think you're glorifying God by being a begrudging, obedient, religious person with no actual joy in God, how does that glorify God? God is more glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him. But how is God merciful? So by the mercies of God. So I think up until this point, he's, he's talked about so many things. He's talked about justification. How many of you think about justification when you think about the mercies of God? That is, he has declared you justified and righteous in front of him. He's died for your penalty and for your sin. He's declared you innocent because Jesus took on the punishment for our sins. But, only, but not only is God's mercies to us revealed in the punishment that he withholds from us, his grace and his mercy is actually revealed and going a step farther. He's not just not spanking us. He's rewarding us for coming to him. He is coming, he's granting us rewards for our faith in the finished work of Jesus. That is so crazy to think about it. In chapter, chapters one through 11, Paul has talked about how we have been adopted in Jesus, how we have new identity with Christ. I don't know where you find your identity currently in. For some, it's my success, um, my failures, 
my past, maybe my future plans. Maybe you find your identity in your hobbies or your skills or your beauty or your popularity or whatever it is. But here Paul comes in in Romans and said, actually, the core of our identity is not something fading. It's not something that can be taken away. It's that you are a child of God. He has made you his own. He's not just forgiven you. He's adopted you into the family of God. And that is the core of your identity. The mercies of God are seen that it's no longer the law of God that judges us and is over us, but it is grace that is over us. It's a gift that you can't earn, only receive and accept Jesus Christ. You can never pay God back for the cross, only live now for his glory. His mercies are revealed to us in that he gives us his Holy Spirit that lives within us, that teaches us, equips us, transforms us as witnesses of Jesus. Like how many of you have come to the end of yourself at many points throughout your life? You just get to a point where there is nothing left. You have no strength left, no wisdom left. You have no idea what to do. How are the mercies of God revealed to us in that situation? The Holy Spirit of the living God is within you. The power of God is within you. When you have no strength left, he has all the strength. He has equipped you. God's mercy is revealed to all of us in our afflictions. No longer do we have to crumble under the weight of the seemingly big nature of our problems and our lack of ability to deal with our problems. I don't know about you, but I have a tendency to do that. I think about how great my problems are all the time. And then actually, you know, sometimes I do them and they're like, oh, that took four minutes. That's actually not that big of a deal. <laughs> but for a lot of us, we think about how big our problems are all the time. And yet, where's the comfort in our affliction? God is bigger. God is greater. But rather celebrate that God's mercies seen not only is help to a sinner needing to be saved, but also grace, not only from hell, but from every failure you do here on earth. Grace for every problem you face. Grace for every demonic force that may come against you. Grace. The mercy of God is revealed in the fact that even as you face circumstances that are out of your control, I love this about chapter eight and nine, it reminds us that you may feel out of control. No, actually, that doesn't sound right. You may not feel in control <laughs> uh, in the current circumstances. But Romans 8 and 9 reminds us, even though you're not in control, he always is. So when you face difficult circumstances and you walk through them, how are the mercies of God revealed? I don't know how I promise to turn this around for my good. I don't know how he's going to do it. I can't have any control in this situation, but I know still I rest in the arms of my savior. And not only are his mercies revealed in the here and now and what you walk through, but also future promises of glory. The confidence of chapter eight that reminds us that nothing can separate us from the love of God and from the faithfulness of God. This, all this. So I'm still on the therefore, <laughs> I know, I know you're thinking this is going to be a really long sermon. I'm not, I have, you know, I have short things to say from here on out, but this is why we worship. Before we go any into the rest of this chapter about the practicalities of what it looks like to glorify God and, in, in uh, what is it? Faithfulness, love, availability, and, and teachableness. Is that how you, how you say that? Uh, before we go into any of the what, here's the why in the therefore. This is what he's covered up into this chapter. All that God has done for you, we worship not simply because we fear God, but rather because his perfect love is cast out here. What is it? I love that song, Amazing Grace, when it says, it was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieve. We sing that and maybe we're just thinking about the melody, but we're like, if that makes sense, <laughs> grace taught my heart to fear and then grace my fear is relieved. Yes, that is so true. And if you seek to earn righteousness or 
work your way to heaven by good works. It only goes to show, number one, you don't understand the seriousness of your sin. Number two, you don't understand the, the holiness of God. And number three, you don't understand the good news of Jesus. Because in order for us to be relieved of our disease, sometimes the doctor has to come in first and give you a bad diagnosis. This is your state. <laughs> Leah is saying, amen. <laughs> amen, Leah. What you laughing at that? <laughs> Leah, we need to talk after the service. Uh, no, sometimes in order for us to celebrate the relief of a disease, even like you think about surgery. What if a doctor walked in here today? Anybody want to get cut up? No, thank you. What if he told you, actually, if I don't cut you up, you're going to die. Then all of a sudden that knife becomes more appealing, right? And yet we so often jump over that part when the scriptures remind us of just how holy God is. He's not like your best friend or whoever you're comparing yourself to and your morality to, he's actually perfect. And that's the standard. And just how messed up we are. And every sin that I do, that's a reminder of that's the thing that sent Jesus to die for me on the cross. And if we don't have that diagnosis, how can we run to the medicine that is Christ? Now, what should we do? He says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God. That is your spiritual worship. This is a reference to our entire being. being. Uh, I love, there's a, there's a scene in Matthew 22 where the religious people of Jesus' day are trying to ask him questions to get him into troubles. The Jews, they were occupied at this time by the Romans. A lot of the Jews hated the Romans for occupying them. They wanted freedom, right? Man, I just think about that. Braveheart scene, freedom. They wanted freedom from the Romans. They wanted their independence, right? And on the other hand, the Romans were ready. If they sensed any talk about rebellion or overthrowing the government, they were ready to come in and squash people, uh, which they did regularly at this point. Um, and it, in Matthew 22, you get to the scene where the religious peoples are trying to trick Jesus into answering uh, a almost loose-loose question. So they start by coming to him and says, tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? What is their point? Ha <laughs> This is a great question. If he, he says, yes, pay the taxes to Caesar. All the Jews who want independence are going to hate him. If he doesn't say that, the Romans will kill him. So what is your answer to this question? And I love how Jesus answers this question. And you might be thinking, how is this relevant to Romans 12? It's going to get there. Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius, which is a day's pay at this day and age. And Jesus said to them, hold it up like this. There's likeness and inscription is this. And they said, that's Caesar's. And then he said to them, therefore, so therefore, therefore, uh, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God, the things that are God's. Okay. And you might be like, how does that answer? Like, how is that a great answer? Well, he's calling out the religious leaders in this. He's like, are you worried about this coin? Okay, who's on this coin? Is that Caesar's head? Give it to Caesar. If he wants his fancy coin back, give it to Caesar. But give God the thing that has the image of God. The rest of you, outside of this coin that is Caesar's, give him all of that. You are created as an image bearer of God. Whose image do you carry? God's, give him all of you. Stop worrying about the coin. And that's actually what Paul is saying here in Romans 12. It matches the answer that Romans, Romans 12 was saying. Paul is saying, hey, bring your whole body as a living sacrifice. And I mentioned earlier, Amos chapter five and Isaiah chapter one earlier, where God talks about detesting the worship of the Israelites. Why is that? Because they were doing a lot of things for the wrong reasons. They were doing a lot of what's and not knowing the why. The gathering for worship events, but didn't love or glorify God with their hearts or lives or bodies. God doesn't just want what you can do for him. He went your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, just as they sought to find the perfect lamb to give God the best. 
pulses. Once you, that is crazy. The holy God of the universe wants to mess up you and me. He wants us. And just like the Jews sought out the perfect lamb to offer as sacrifice, ultimately pointing to Jesus, who is our perfect lamb, die for us. So Paul says, therefore, in light of all that God has done, give him the best. Not to earn any of this, but rather because he's already given to you. That is your spiritual worship. That is your spiritual worship. Um, so what is faith? You thought about that? Is it to believe in the existence of God? Is it to believe that God is there, that Jesus existed as a person? Is it to believe that intellectually? Is it to have a nailed down theology? To know everything there is to know about the Bible and God? Actually, some of the people who had the best theology in the New Testament were number one, the Pharisees. They were like conspiring with the Romans. Where's the Messiah to be born? Oh, I'm an Old Testament scholar. I can give you this. Like, what are you doing, Mac? The Messiah, your savior is being born and you're conspiring with the Romans to kill him? What is up with you? Who are the other most best theologians in the New Testament? Actually, the demons. Yes. Elliot and I have talked about this a lot. I may have used it as an illustration too much, but who knows who Jesus is when no one else does? When Peter is totally clueless as to what Jesus is here to do, who knows what Jesus is there to do? The demons, they shake and tremble. They ask, why are you here? Aren't you ahead of schedule? Like, are you, have you come to destroy us? They know exactly who Jesus is. So what is biblical faith? What is biblical faith? If it's not just knowing who Jesus is, if it's not just knowing about theoretical theology, intellectual knowledge, what is biblical faith? It is to trust in Jesus Christ as your savior, the one who died for your sins. You can't earn this. You can never be good enough. Only thing you can do is to fall on your knees and say, God, I accept, thank you. And he is your Lord, your Lord and savior. Lord, anybody use that in a sentence this week? As I say often, we don't very often talk about Lord, but he lords over us, it's his life. Faith is to believe the opposite of Adam and Eve in the garden, who didn't trust God, who thought, ah, oh, maybe he's hiding some deeper joy from us. Faith, biblical faith is to believe the opposite of Adam and Eve in the garden. And actually I'm gonna go where Christ is, because he seeks out my good. He's not hiding joy from me. And there is true joy and true life and true fulfillment. Do you need to be informed to have that faith? Do you need to know some theology to have that faith? Yes, of course. Just two chapters earlier, we're in Romans 12, two chapters earlier in chapter 10, he says, how will they believe if they have not heard? And how will they hear if no one sends out people to evangelize and preach? But the Christian faith is not simply to have an intellectual grasp on doctrines, but to be challenged by them to now live in light of, of the joy that we have in Jesus. And so he continues, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. He says, don't be like this world, but rather be transformed by the renewal of your mind and test the will of God. God takes you as you are, but he loves you enough to not let you stay that way. Rather, he takes you as you are and he gives you new life, new identity, new mercies and the renewal of mind. And so worship is not limited to what you sing on Sunday mornings, but everything you do on Sundays, right? There's a lot of things that we do. When we worship, when we pray together, we worship when we sing together. We worship when we serve together. We worship when we learn through the preaching of God's word. We worship when we remember Christ in communion. We worship, everything we do is worship. When we give money, it is worship. Worship bleeds out of Sundays and into the week and changes what we prioritize, whose opinion matters most to us. It changes how we love others and even why we love others. I remember, man, the beginning of my marriage, I came to faith and I was transformed in how I love my wife. 
Because up until that point, I believed in that Hollywood type of love. I will love you, but you better be nice, right? If you're nice, I will love you. Basically, it's super selfish. If you think about it, Hollywood type of love is super selfish. I will scratch your back if you scratch mine. And then being confronted with the overwhelming love of Christ who cried out, forgive them. They don't know what they do while they were murdering him. All of a sudden, I am an, I am an example of love that I don't need anybody else to treat me well in order for me to love them. It might change how I love them, but I don't need them to scratch my back to love them back. I have Jesus as an example. Worship bleeds into everything that we do. Worship bleeds into changed thoughts, changed emphases. It changed what and who you give your attention to, how you spend your energy and your money and even how you speak. There's this funny story. I, it's on the internet, so it must be true, right? As I say so often. Um, but I remember there was, a, I was reading about this revival that happened in Wales uh, like 100 years ago, two or 300 years ago. I don't remember when it happened. Uh, I think about 100 years ago, a bunch of people came to faith. Like almost the entire country came to faith, supposedly. And there's a story of a bunch of miners who came to faith. And they were having problems as they came to faith and were confronted with the love of Jesus. They walked out changed and they actually had to retrain their working animals because now that they had become followers of Jesus, they weren't cursing anymore. And they had trained their animals by cursing them out as they were like going along, just throwing out bad words and slapping them. And now that they were all Christians, the animals didn't know what to do because they weren't cursing anymore. <laughs> and I was like, man, that's a great example of, God at work, man. He changes how you think and what you say and everything else. That's awesome. Um, I have no idea if it's true, but I like the idea of it. So I'm just going to share that. Um, brothers and sisters, don't be like the world. Have you seen what the world has to offer? Have you seen the hopelessness on the rise, the depression on the rise, the endless promises of joy and fulfillment, and you toil and toil and toil to get there, and yet you never reach it? So let me challenge you, as I've done some Sundays before, be weird. Paracleto, Kaleo, Paracleto, come alongside of me and be weird. Let's be weird together because normal isn't working. Look around. Everybody's trying to be normal and it's not working. And here, the Paul, Paul the Apostle is saying, come alongside of me and be weird. Live for another king, another kingdom, another home. Live for the joy you already have, not the joy that you're trying to obtain. Be weird because normal isn't working. Come to Jesus. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by Jesus. Don't believe the lies of Adam and Eve who don't trust God. They think he's trying to hide joy from them. No, come to him because you know that's who created you and he knows what he created you for. And that first step is to simply come to him as a sinner in need of a savior to know that you're justified, to remember his promises and drive you on to worship Jesus. In the following weeks, Paul is gonna leave us a lot of things to deal with practically in our lives, to be faithful, to be loving, available and teachable. But for today, I simply wanna focus on the why. This is why we do all this, because of what he's already done, because of who he has already made you to be. May the love of Christ overwhelm us. May his sacrifice on the cross transform us. May his Holy Spirit equip us and may God be glorified in us. As we go into this week, if you're in here and you're a Christian, what we do is typically communion every Sunday. We want to remember Christ. Christ should be the center of our service. We would have no reason to gather if it wasn't for Jesus. We want to remember him as we go into this week, remembering that the service might be coming to a close, but our worship has just started for this week. And to remember why we worship. So if you're a Christian, meaning Jesus is your Lord and he is your savior, you surrender to him, then please remember Christ with us. If you're not a Christian, first of all, I hope you become one. Not a ceremony, it's simply a surrender to Jesus. I believe that what you did on the cross was enough to save me. And I want to follow you for the rest of my life. I want you to take over, be my Lord. If you make those two commitments today, I want to pray with you. I really want to talk with you. Um, but if you're not really ready to make those commitments, don't, 
out of politeness or anything like that, celebrate with us community. Because God takes this seriously. And uh, for us to make light of the cross, uh, God warns us of judgment in his word for those who take communion or, and, and do it in mockery. So let me pray for us and let's remember Christ. Father, praise you and we thank you for your word. You could have just come saying, here is what I need you to do. We, you could have just come as another prophet telling us of the things that we are failing in and how we need to improve. Father, you didn't have to send Jesus Christ as a savior. You simply could have been a judge and you could have been a righteous judge to condemn all of us away from you into hell. That's what, you, that's what we had earned. And if you were simply a just judge, that what, that's what we would have gotten. But we praise you that you are just, yes, but you are kind and you are loving and you are gracious and you are merciful. And so Father, as we seek to glorify you in our lives and our thoughts and in how we speak and what we speak and, and how we spend our energy and focus and time and money and everything else, Father, I pray that you would use our lives to your glory, that we would remember distinctly why we do this. Let us not have people in this church who stand before you like the people in Matthew chapter seven saying, Lord, Lord, see all the things that we've done in your name, but rather to say everything I've done is simply because of the thing that you've done for me, which is to save me from myself. And Father, may we be like beggars pointing other beggars to where food can be found. Father, we love you and we praise you. And now we remember your son, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. You've been listening to Sermons from Iceland, a weekly podcast highlighting the Sunday teaching ministry of Lofstofan Baptiste Kyrka in Reykjavik, Iceland. If you have a desire to see the gospel spread in Iceland, consider partnering with the Iceland Project. For more information, go to theicelandproject.org. If you live in Iceland or plan on visiting Iceland soon, make plans to worship with us at 11 a.m. on Sundays. Our address is Fagrating 2A, Kopavar, only 7 miles or 12 kilometers southeast of downtown Reykjavik. You can reach Pastor Gunnar via the Lofstofan Facebook page or by email. His address is lofstofan at lofstofan.is. Join us next week for another Bible-based and Jesus-centered message on Sermons from Iceland. Iceland.